Hi everyone, uh, good to see you guys. Uh, if you're new here or visiting our church, uh, my name is Aiden, a pastor at Covenant Life Church. I hope we can uh, meet each other after the service. And uh, But again, if you're new, um, thanks for visiting our church and um, checking us out. Um, today's passage will be found in Acts chapter 1. I'm sorry, it's Acts chapter 2, rather. Uh, we'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 13. Acts 2, 1 through 13. This is the word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they're sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they're dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. That is God's word. Just a quick question before we start. How many of you, your love language is receiving gifts. No one? Okay. How many of you, your love language is giving gifts? Okay, oh, okay, few of you. So you're more givers than receivers. All right. Receiving is fine. You know, that's, uh, we all have different preferences in terms of how we feel love, so. But anyways, uh, I mentioned gift because um, I think even if you're not a gift person, there's that exhilaration, right? When you are promised a gift and then finally receive that gift that you've been waiting for, there's that great joy. And that's essentially what we're going to be looking at in today's passage. The disciples that we looked at uh, past few weeks, 
You know, they have been waiting for this gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. And today is the day. Today is the passage where we get to see the promise being realized. So with that, let's go into uh, the passage together. Uh, three points as usual. First, the coming of the Spirit. Second, the work of the Spirit. And the third, the responses to the Spirit. And the title for today's sermon is the Pentecost. Uh, That is what's happening in the passage today. So, the Pentecost. First, the coming of the Spirit. Verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Here the author, Luke, is giving us a context and setting, or setting up the scene for us. Uh, First, Pentecost is one of the Jewish holy days where uh, the Jews come to Jerusalem. They make a pilgrimage to come to Jerusalem and celebrate. It takes place in either May or June. It's also called the Feast of Weeks or Day of first fruits. So it's kind of like a harvest festival. Uh, and now, this day, Pentecost, is calculated uh, 50 days. So that's why it's Penta, five, right? Five, zero. Uh, 50 days since the time of Passover. And that's helpful for us because uh, that can help us locate the time of Jesus in this story, meaning that uh, Jesus died and rose again around Passover. And, and we saw earlier in the book that Jesus spent 40 days with the disciples after his resurrection. And at the end of that period, he gave them the, the mission to be his witnesses to, the, to the, the ends of the earth. And then uh, he also told them to wait for the gift of the Spirit before they, before they go out to the world. And then he went up to heaven. So if you do the the math, uh, at this time of Pentecost, it has been 10 days since uh, Jesus uh, went up to heaven, 10 days since he made that promise. And we'll see uh, in in the rest of the passage that the the promise is going to be realized. And in that verse, we also see that they're gathering together in one place, again, waiting for that gift. And so not, not... with that, let's see how the, the story is unfolded. Verse 2, it says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. So I really think that the, the author Luke is a really good storyteller. He's trying to draw us in to the story And he's inviting us to imagine the scene using audio, the sound. And uh, it's a sound of wind, whirlwind. And I grew up in the Chicago area. It's called the Windy City. So I can, I'm perhaps more familiar with what this sound may have sounded like. So I don't know. Something like that. But now, Luke also gives us, gives us another sensory tool for us to picture the scene in our heads. And that's visual. 
verse 3 and 4, he says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So it's saying that the Holy Spirit is now spreading uh, among the disciples one by one, like fire spreading across the land. And it's tragic what's happening in the western part of our country right now, the wildfire you know, spreading across the forest and the houses, a lot of casualties because of that. But it, the fire here in this story is much more positive, as you can imagine. It's a power of God that spreads to each disciple to give them the ability to speak in other languages. So with that, now, the imagery of sound and fire are familiar uh, imageries in the Bible. In the Old Testament, uh, these symbolized God's powerful presence and revelation. So look with me in Exodus 19, 18-19. It says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because, of, because the Lord had, had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a, a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. What that means is, now back to our passage, at Pentecost, God has come down in Holy Spirit to dwell with His people and to give them power. And now His presence, His glorious eternal presence is with the disciples forever. And with that, please go back with me to... Um, the beginning of the story and try to empathize with uh, the disciples about this whole process. Just imagine during that, those long 10 days of waiting for this promise. I mean, they were praying and we saw last week that, you know, they were not slacking off. They were trying to put the house in order by electing another dis apostle. And yet, I'm sure in between those moments, they were freaking out. They were in fear, they're in doubt, saying things like, will Jesus really fulfill his promise? We don't see him right now physically anymore. Will he really keep his promise? Can we really accomplish this mission to evangelize the world? And, but let alone, forget the mission, our lives, can we survive this hostile world that are out to get us? That's, perhaps their mental state. And yet, at Pentecost, God is proving to them, proving himself to be faithful, promise keeper. And he demonstrated his real presence, real gift through the powerful signs, again, of the sound and fire. And that is encouraging to us. Why? Because we also, like the disciples, can 
have those moments where we don't feel God's presence, but we feel fear, doubt, we feel abandoned even if you really go through the hard times. But what we see in this passage to be true is that the Holy Spirit has come down permanently for good to dwell with his people. And if you're in Christ, you will never lose God's presence. God is always with you, whether you feel it or not. He's always with us. And that's what it means when we say Emmanuel, God with us. That's his promise. Now, I came across this uh, very informative video recently. Uh, I followed a few channels that I really like on YouTube. And uh, this one video, uh, it's, it's, a re- it's about re- this reporter uh, trying to explain why taking a bath both in hot water and cold water, well, not at the same time, obviously, but you know, like doing that periodically is good for your health. And he's saying that you know, our body always tries to protect important organs such as you know, our brain and our hearts uh, by keeping a consistent temperature of, of these organs. And when you go into hot water, what happens is that you know, the, your body kind of freaks out, thinking, oh, no, the temperature is going to go up. Like, we have to act fast, and they're gonna, the, the, the bodies, bodies are going to um, drain out all the, not all the blood, but like significant amount of blood out of heart and brain so that they do not become too hot. They become, you know, stay cool while the rest of your body get hot. In contrast, bear with me, in contrast, if you go into cold water, now the body's gonna, your body's gonna think, oh no, it's gonna get too cold. So now we're gonna flow all the blood back into these organs so that they stay warm while the rest of your bodies, you know, stay cold or whatever. And now the, the reporter is saying that that's good because, you know, it helps your blood circulation, right? That way, um, you know, your blood vessels can work and on and on. So that's this argument. And when I was thinking about that, I thought of what that could mean spiritually too. You know, when we go through tough, cold season in our lives, um, when, when the circumstances are not pleasant, you know, we don't feel the warmth of the Holy Spirit. But that does not mean that Holy Spirit left, like the blood. Blood is still there. It's just not in, in the, the other parts of your body, but it's in where? Your heart and your brain. The Holy Spirit is trying to do something else to protect you. That's what happens when we go through hard times. We don't feel God's presence, but God is there to do good to you in other ways, in ways that we don't know. But when the circumstance is right and your condition is right, God will allow you to experience the the warmth and even fire of the Holy Spirit, just like the the disciples experienced. And the God's presence will truly warm you or fire you up. That's what happens with our spiritual lives, just like the physical bodies. So may we believe that individually, no matter what we go through, God never leaves us when he feels absent. He's doing something good 
in other ways in our lives. And as a church too, no matter what season that we go through, God is always with us, doing something else to protect us. That is what happened when the Spirit came. God's presence is the result. Second point, the work of the Spirit. Verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So here Luke is describing uh, none other than the Jewish uh, diaspora, uh, meaning that uh, throughout Israel history, uh, Jews were constantly you know, deported and displaced from their homeland uh, because of the you know, uh, exile and all these reasons. And, and they're all scattered all around the world. And we'll see in a moment, you know, all the places that they had to be displaced to. But that's what's happening here. Luke is saying that, um, you know, these people were the, the Jewish exiles that were, you know, uh, displaced from their homeland. But then here at Pentecost, because of the pilgrimage, they came back. And some of them, actually, they came back to stay, not just to visit. So that's why it's saying that, there are men who are from every nation, even though they are Jew. So just to be on the same page about that. And now, something else happens. Verse 6. It says, At this sound, the sound of the tongues, different languages spoken by the disciples, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So it turns out that the disciples, when they were speaking in tongues, they were not speaking gibberish. They were actually speaking the intelligible uh, foreign languages, none other than the languages of uh, these Jewish pilgrims in town. And, and these guys are freaking out, like, how are they speaking my language? So verse 7, And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So these pilgrims, they figured out they were, the, the disciples were Galileans, perhaps by their looks or the accent. And apparently, the reputation of Galileans at the time was not so good. The stereotype was that these were uneducated people. Some, scout, some uh, old ancient documents even called Galileans stupid. Not so nice. And also, another reputation was uh, even worse. Uh, some books said that uh, the Galileans are notorious for speaking in very unclear language. They just didn't speak very well, right? But now, when the Spirit came, they are looking like, uh, like language experts. They are speaking all these different languages. And that's why these guys are just freaking out. Like, how can this happen? These are Galileans. They're not that smart. How can they speak all these languages in front of us? Now moving on, the question that we have to ask at this point is, why is the Holy Spirit enabling the disciples to speak these languages? To show off? Verse 9 through 11, again, lists the 
people groups and nations that these pilgrims came from. And geographically, all these names uh, cover all the known world at the time from the perspective of the, the Jews and uh, Romans. So for example, the, the first one, Parthians, occupied today's Iran. And Asia is not the East Asia, like Koreans, Japanese, or Chinese, but this refers to modern Turkey. And uh, the Cyrene and Libya are in North Africa. So th those were the territories of the Roman Empire. That's all they knew. You see, what this means is Luke, the author, the writer of this book, is trying to show us that all the known nations are represented in this scene. And, and they are hearing in their own language from the disciples. And, and what, what are they saying then? The question is, what are they saying with these languages that are understandable to these audiences? So we go to verse 11, second half. It says, we hear them telling in our own tongues, what? The mighty works of God. So they're declaring the mighty works of God, particularly the work of God in Jesus, that he accomplished salvation for the world by dying on the cross for people's sins. And he rose up again in resurrection so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. They're declaring that over and over in worship. What this means is they are fulfilling the mission. They are being the witnesses of Jesus in the language, languages of these audiences who are coming from the ends of the earth. I hope you are following me so far. They are verbatim accomplishing the mission that Jesus gave them, that they were to be the witnesses to the ends of the earth. They're doing that right now. But is it really them doing it? Because we just saw that Galileans did not speak well. And, and that's actually attested in the Bible because the disciples, they're mostly fishermen, right? They were not educated. And they admitted it. And they were not very impressive. They don't have much credentials. It is the Holy Spirit. That's why the work of God is highlighted here. Because these guys are unqualified people and yet doing marvelous things, God is at work. That's what we see. God is elevated. Marvelous. God is the only actor here working through unqualified people. And then, because of the Holy Spirit, the mission is accomplished. Um, my wife, Deb, told me, we're just talking about this one event that she went to. It was like an evangelistic uh, like outreach in D.C. That's her hometown in Maryland. And it's back in 2005. There was like a big event where you know, evangelists and preachers came to speak to, you know, multitude. And apparently there were 10,000 people attending this event. But what's strange about this event, by the way, uh, this was sort of a concert too, you know, like one of those where 
there are like worship bands and there are like musical acts and then in between the, the preachers would come up and you know preach the gospel and so forth. But what's strange about this event was it was pouring. It was it was raining like all day. But then while so that was there and then but what she realized was that whenever the preachers came up on the stage, the rain would stop for every preacher. And you know if she told me that, I was like, you're just dreaming or something. Can I really trust you? I mean, I love you. You're my wife. But I just kind of like exaggerating it. But then she told me about what her friend said, who was not at the event, but then but she was uh, working in the area. But apparently her, the, the friend and her coworkers were talking about how strange it was, how the rain would fall and then stop and fall, stop in same interval and what was really cool was that I actually read this again I didn't it's not like I don't, I don't trust my wife but I wanted to have fact so I went to you know Google and I looked up the, the event and I read an article and the article said uh, 1500 people expressed that they made decisions to follow Jesus at that event and here, I'm not trying to say the, the musical acts were not significant. I'm sure, you know, uh, got, people were blessed by the worship bands too. And I'm also not saying that the number is what's important. Like, oh, 1,500 people, oh. Like, it may not be the good gauge, you know. We cannot really gauge the fruit of any event by just number. But this whole story that I have been just thinking about, this cannot be a coincidence. And... Also, as a preacher, I, I did some outdoor preaching and evangelism too. And similar things happened to me too. So that the conclusion that I make from all these things, the educated guess, this is not coincidence. God, the Holy Spirit, goes before our effort. And He's the one that accomplishes the fruit. The preachers like myself, I'm just nobody. I just do what I can. So it's not my fruit, but it's the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Again, that's what's being highlighted here. And what that means for us as we think about this is that we can have confidence when we try to be faithful to the mission that God has given us. You know, as we, for some of us, as you look at your families, you know, your friends and your coworkers who don't know about the gospel, you can be confident that even before you try to build up the relationship and share your hope, God is going before you. He's pre preparing the path for you. It's not you, it's God. It's the Holy Spirit. And as a church, too, as we you know, look to the Welcome Week, again, I really want us to see that as mission to, to lead souls on this campus um, to a local church. It doesn't have to be our church, but giving them those options. And also as we try to reach out to the other audiences too in the Twin Cities, you know, other, you know, working young adults and so forth. What we need to be assured of is that God is going before us. And that is the work of the Spirit. And lastly, the responses 
to the Spirit. Verse 12 says, so in response of all this, the, the, the pilgrim, pilgrims are saying, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So they seem pretty amazed, obviously, and they, they also seem genuine. They really want to get to know what this is all about. They're just astonished, like, oh my gosh, they're speaking my language, and they don't even know me. They don't even, you know, come from where I come from. They want to know. But then there's another camp here, verse 13. But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. So these guys are trying to explain away all this, you know, fantastic event that they just, you know, witnessed with the human reasoning, denying the, the divine, de denying the divine intervention. And in that process, they mock the disciples and they ultimately mock God. And what, what they show is that even if people see miracles, even if they see the true work of God in front of their eyes, some people will always have opposing response. That's the fact. It's not always 100% getting amazed. No, there will always be people who harden their hearts, even in, you know, in front of the evidences. And what that means, I think, I believe what Luke is trying to tell us is that as we try to be faithful to the mission that God has given us, we must expect that it won't be 100% return. It could be a lot less than 20%. It could be a lot less than 5%. God is showing us that many people will shrug it off. All the efforts that we put in, all the messages that we try to communicate, not everyone will respond well. And what that means, again, is the fruit of the ministry belongs to God. And our job is just trying to be faithful, doing our part. And just to clarify too, the mission that Jesus gave, gave us is not to convert everyone. He just told us to be witnesses. See the difference? Our job is not to convert people. Our job is to be faithful witnesses. Uh, as, you saw, as some of you guys know that um, I was a youth pastor uh, for three and a half years before I came to CLC. And uh, there's this one student that uh, made me very sad. Um, so I had just become a pastor there. Uh, it's like my first year. But for whatever reason, this student didn't like me. And, uh, and I heard from others that this student would tell other of her friends how she didn't like me and she would kind of mobilize these friends against me. And, uh, and I could tell even when I preached that she didn't like me because she, she expressed it very well through her facial expressions. So I knew that, you know, she was not my fan. Um, and later on, she would also stop coming to youth group, uh, just kind of making many excuses. And I was like, man, I just got here. Just give me a break. Come on. 
know, like, is it my height? Like, what, what is it? Why don't, why don't you like me? You know, so I was devastated. Um, and then, uh, but that's not the end of the story because, um, so I, I tried to, you know, be loving to her and reach out to her. And, uh, you know, I, I pray for her and, you know, try to keep in touch with her at, when she went off to college. And then later I heard that she, like, really encountered Christ in college. And, uh, and later, even later than that, uh, when I was leaving this youth group to join CLC, she wrote me a card, like a very, like a thick card, I still remember. Very thick card with a lot of words. And, uh, and basically, she was, she was just telling me that she was appreciated, appreciating me and she always appreciated like all that I did for her on and on. Just summary, there's a lot more words than that. And I still remember, I don't think I cried, but I was very close to that. I was just like, just shaking. I was like, oh my gosh, she's my fan now. No, I was just really blessed. I was just in awe. I mean, I didn't, you know, describe everything that kind of transpired, you know, while she didn't like me. It was, it was, it was hurtful, you know? I was like trying to love her, but then like, she didn't love me back. So I was just really devastated. But going from there to here, where she was like totally different because she met Christ. And I just saw, wow, God works. God changes people. And we still keep in touch. And I love it when, you know, she, you know, updates me how she's doing while she's working. And I love it because I get, I get to see over and over what God is doing in her life as she continues to walk with God. I share that because I think that's a pattern that we will see if you really try to be faithful with the mission that God has given us. That we won't see the immediate fruits right away. And I think we're so conditioned to have immediate result, right? Because we have smartphone now and we just click a button and here's what I want to see. So that when it comes to saving souls, we kind of expect the same thing. That people have to respond to our message and they have to turn to Christ right away. But that's not how it works here. God is calling us to expect opposition and struggles. And we grow through that. Our character grows. And we pray more, depend on God more, seeing that it is truly the Holy Spirit that saves people, not my job. So again, as we as a church going to welcome again the new season of our church, as we really try to be a be good witnesses and, and agents of Christ, may we remember that, that God is present all the time, even when we don't feel Him, and that it is His work. So we can be confident and we give the result to him alone. So in freedom, we try to be faithful to our mission. Let's pray together. And for me, just even as I was preparing for this message, I was just really blessed because it freed me even when I was preparing for this message that, oh, wow, I mean, you know, being a perfectionist, I just kind of like, 
maybe overthink sometimes when I prepare and you know lose sleep and things like that. Um, but at the end of the day, man, it is his work. I'm just a conduit, a nameless conduit um, through which by his grace, his word flows. And I think my hope for you is that you feel that same freedom too for whatever endeavor that you uh, feel left to uh, embark on. You know, what is your mission field? I really am convicted that that's what our church needs to hear. You know, what is our mission? Let's never lose that. So where is our mission field? And even as I say, say that, I really feel for us. I'm not coming from a place where, like, come on, let's do it. But no, I mean, a lot happened this summer for our church. Um, so I know this will take time, but the bottom line is that, never, hey guys, let's not lose sight of our mission. Because if we do, we cease to be a church. So can we just pray and let the Spirit search our hearts? Um, just in the quietness of this room uh, where we got to have the Spirit that loves us search our hearts and change us and embolden us. Could we do that? And uh, we'll uh, finish with the song and uh, finish. But uh, let's just search, uh, let's just invite the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're present in our lives. We're never left alone because the Holy Spirit has fallen into us at Pentecost and He will dwell with us forever. So Lord, help us to rest in that fact. Help us to know You that way, know You deeper, so that our hearts will be built up from inside out, that we'll grow up to be people that are filled up inside. And we say, we lack nothing. We don't need anything else in our lives because we have everything through the Holy Spirit. The entirety of who Christ is, we have that. So Lord, grow us, not just as individuals, but as a church. Help us to follow your Spirit's leading every step of the way. Um, knowing that even when we stumble, you love us and you are so ready to help us to get back up. So work powerfully in us. Cleanse our hearts, God. Because our hearts are, by your, by your grace, it is called 
the house for the Spirit, that our house, that, that the Spirit dwells in our hearts. What an incredible, incredible thought. So cleanse our hearts, God. We want more of the Spirit in our hearts, more of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your presence here, even right now. 